Thank you, Amy. Thank you, Quay. Good morning. All right. We are going to have some fun today. Can we have some fun? We are going to look at 1 John. We're starting a new series in 1 John. Thank you guys so much. We'll come to that later. Let me just make sure we got our voices warmed up. If you're in like first through third grade, just shout out where you go to school. So we're not warmed up. Okay, all right. We're northern. Who's at northern? All right, Boiling Springs, CV. All right, I'm gonna, Upper Allen. Somebody said, just say Upper Allen. All right, well, we are so glad that you're here on Back to School Sunday. Um, and we are going to look, as I said, at First John. My goal today is very simple. We are gonna look at an overview of the book. There's one verse, First John chapter five, verse 13, that summarizes the purpose of the entire book. So the goal today is that we would all know the purpose of the book. If you came in and you are a student, if you're a kid, uh, we have sermon notes. You can fill in the blank in those sermon notes. And if you do, then we have a coupon for a Pennsylvania Bakery cupcake for you, all right? And you can get that at the welcome desk outside, right, like directly behind the sound booth here outside. And everybody's like, I need to go get those sermon notes now. Feel free to jump up and go get them. Some of the really smart ones in the first service, grab the adult sermon notes and fill them out in advance. They didn't wait to hear what I was gonna say. All right, so I didn't realize that cheat code was available to you, but I found out first service that apparently it is. All right, so I'm curious, uh, how many of you have ever had the moment in your family life where someone asks where something is and you are confident of the response only to find out that you are dead wrong. So it's a regular occurrence in my house that I will look in the refrigerator and I will say, Amanda, where is this? And she will say, like, the turkey, I can't find the turkey, we're out of turkey. And she'll say, no, we're not out of turkey, I just bought it yesterday. And I'll proceed to say, no, there's no turkey in here. And we will go back and forth like that five times until she comes to the refrigerator and opens the drawer and says, here it is. Have we been there, yes? Maybe just to reverse it a little bit, every once in a while I'll say, Amanda, where are my keys? And she'll say, they're on the hook. And I'll say, they're not on the hook. I'm standing in front of the hook. Where are the keys? And she'll say, they're on the hook. And I'll say, I promise you they're not on the hook. Only to find out that they've made their way into the purse, which is a black hole that nothing can ever be found in. Husbands, amen? You're like, no, we know better than to say that. We're not gonna, we're not gonna acknowledge that. You're on your own. Well, it's amazing. This happened last night. Even with our dog, it happened. My dog, every once in a while, something gets under the couch and she's convinced it's under the couch and she needs it, but half the time there's nothing under the couch. And so last night, a man and I are sitting on the couch and Scout is sitting, staring at us and just whining incessantly. <laughs> over and over, there's nothing under the couch, Scout. I must have said it to her five times, like she understood me. Like, there's nothing under the couch, there's nothing under the couch, only to get down and look, and her bone was under the couch, right? Now, here's the problem, confidence based in our own memory is sometimes a fool's errand, right? Like that we remember, that we know, like, I mean, our memories sometimes they just don't hold the information that we think they hold. And we're so convinced that we're right. We're so confident that something is where we believe it is and yet we're wrong, right? But the gospel, or not the gospel, but First John, the letter that John writes uh, to a group of churches is all about the same thing, confidence, but not based in our memory, based on something even more important. Let me read you the purpose of, the, of 1 John, this letter, this epistle. 1 John chapter 5, verse 13 says this. It says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. So he's talking to people who are followers of Jesus. They're believers. 
I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. So here's what John is writing for. He's saying, I want you to be confident that you are right with God, that you know him, that you are his child, and I'm gonna give you reasons to have that confidence. That's what this whole book is about, that we're gonna spend an entire semester in. So today I wanna give you the three reasons that John is gonna return to again and again throughout his time, throughout our time in this book. And here's the thing about John is perhaps like a good parent, he's gonna repeat himself a lot. Right, And so this is not a linear book. It's not a book, so just to prepare you for the semester ahead, this is not a book where he's gonna make his main point and then go, here's A, B, C, D, or one, two, three, four, and just kind of delineate that out in a linear fashion. He's gonna be circular. So he's going to say the same things over and over again, each time ramping it up a little bit, each time helping add a little more emphasis. And that's the purpose that John has. He's saying, I want you to be confident that you know God, that you are his and he is yours. I want you to have that kind of confidence. Here's what you're gonna need to have it, and I'm just gonna give that to you over and over again. So here are the three things that John is gonna tell us. If you have these things, you can be confident that you belong to God. The first thing is that you believe the truth, and specifically that you believe the truth about Jesus, who he is, and what he's done. So he's gonna return to that a lot, The second thing he's gonna say is gonna give us confidence that we are in Christ, that we know him and are right with the Father. The second thing is that we love each other, that we have this sort of deep, abiding love for other Christians, even the ones that are maybe hard to love. He's gonna say, when you find that in yourself, you can have confidence. The third thing he's gonna say is that you can be confident that you're right with God when you love doing what's right when you love to do what's right rather than what's wrong. So those are the three things, all right? Those are the three things, believing the truth, loving our sisters and brothers in the faith, and doing what's right. And he's just gonna return to those again and again. So I simply wanna give those to you and explain to you today why it is that you can have confidence when these things, like why do they give us confidence? Why does believing the truth about Jesus, why does loving one another, Why does doing what's right or a desire to do what's right, why does that increase our confidence that we are in the Lord? Now, let me tell you why. give you a little background. Why is John so concerned about this? Why is he even writing this letter? So here's a little background that will help you, just historical context. So John is writing to a group of churches, and we're not exactly sure where these churches were. The best bet is Asia Minor around Ephesus, but we're not 100% sure, but it was definitely a group of churches within close proximity to one another. So it wasn't one church, it was a group of churches, and he intended this letter to go between all these churches, to be sent from church to church. And the reason he's writing is because there's a group of people who were once part of these churches, and they have left. And the reason they've left is that they have become convinced that through revelations and prophetic visions that they have become super Christians and they've left the regular Christians in the dust. They're saying there is another revelation, a newer one, a deeper one, and we have it and you need it. And these deeper revelations denied that Jesus had actually come in the flesh, that he was God's son, They denied the necessity of him dying on the cross and rising from the dead. So they believed they had acquired to some kind of supernatural wisdom. And so now you've got all these folks, these sweet 
wonderful folks who are in these churches and these people that they are friends with, that they care about, have left the church and are saying, you need to come along and believe the things that we believe. We have something even better than the basics that you have. And it's throwing them into confusion. And John, because he's got a pastor's heart, loves his people and just wants them to know with confidence that in fact, they need to keep steadfast in what he has taught them and in what the truth is and not be led astray and not be taken captive by these false ideas that deny things about Jesus and about who are his people and about what it looks like to be full of love. He doesn't want them to be confused. And so he's writing so that they would have, what's the word? Confidence, that's right. He wants them to be full of confidence, not unlike that young person who just shouted confidence. All right, so that's a little bit of the background. Like I said, it's not linear, but he wants us to have these things. So as we go through um, the next couple months, this semester looking at 1 John, I trust that you're gonna find that kind of confidence is built into your heart. And let me just say up front that if you are not in Christ, if as you look at your life, you recognize like, actually, I don't believe those things about Jesus that John is talking about, or I don't actually love other Christians. In fact, I'm, I'm, I, I kind of dislike them. I don't demonstrate anything that could be called love towards other Christians, or I don't love to do what's right. I actually love to do whatever I want to do more than what I know to be right, or what the scriptures say is right. If you find that in yourself, then God's great mercy to you is that he's wanting to reveal to you that you are not in Christ. And that's a merciful thing to do. Do you see that? To have an illness and not know we have the illness is far worse than to know we have it and then to be given a prescription for it, which is exactly what he would give to you. And that prescription is to come into saving faith in the Lord Jesus. So there's an invitation to you if you find that this reveals to you that these things are not true of me. I wanna encourage you, don't be afraid of that, face that. Because as you face it, then you can deal with it. And Christ is extending himself to you to say, come and have these things be true about you through me. Okay, fair enough? Awesome. But you know, if you're not a follower of Jesus, you're in the right place. Keep journeying, keep coming with us, asking the, asking the good questions, all right? All right, so let's take them one at a time. Let's talk about believing the truth. Now, I want to talk about why it is that believing the truth gives you confidence, and I'm gonna get a little help today because I wanna do something to help us. We're gonna play a little music here. Like I said, can we have a little fun, yes? All right, so I don't know who you think the poet laureates of our day are, but I would say it is definitely the boy bands down through the generations. All right, so... I want to play you a little snippet. You'll recognize these. Feel free to sing along. And here's what I want you to, here's what I want you to think about. If these were our sacred texts, what would we believe love was? All right? So if, because if, they sing about love. It is the formula. We recognize it, right? It's how you get a room full of middle school girls to scream for you. If these were our sacred texts, what would we believe was true about love? So, Guys, let's go ahead and, and give me the first one. Am I your fire, your one desire? It's too late, but I won't be 
Yeah. I knew 100% that was going to happen. I had them cut it off at that point because I wanted to hear you sing. Tell me why. Without the Backstreet Boys behind you. By the way, I had to promise my children I would not dance or sing on stage today. And it's harder than you think it is. Because I'm not going to lie, I got a pretty good... No, I don't, actually. <clears throat> so, all right. So if we were to take that as a sacred text of sorts and say, well, what does it teach us about love? Perhaps we might be convinced that love means sublimating every desire and every ambition except for this one person. That all of our ambitions, all of our desires, am I your desire? Am I your fire, right? I probably got that backwards or something. But you get what I'm saying, right? All right, so now let's move forward through the years just a little bit. Big jump here. Let's go to our next one. And that is brought to us by One Direction. There you go, absolutely. All right, so now listen, if we were to take that as our sacred text and say, what does it teach us about love? Perhaps we might believe that love idealizes a person, right? Like, and that everyone, of course, would wanna steal the person that I'm connected to because there's, you know, they are idealized in our mind. Perhaps we might see love as a little melodramatic. And melodramatic is, I mean that not just in a kind of colloquial term, but when we talk about melodrama, someone who writes a melodrama, what they do is they intentionally make characters one-dimensional and black and white so that you have good and bad. There's no complexity to characters. That's what it means to be melodramatic is it's overly simplifying what somebody is in a story in order to make a point, right? So we might see that. We might recognize that we might take it as that this person is now the sum total of my life, that I cannot breathe or move or function, the world does not spin, right? There is no light in the world without them, all right? Now, that's what we might learn. Now let's, look, I said boy bands, but there's a queen of this sort of stuff, and I had to go to her. And those of you who are Swifties are gonna recognize it real quick, all right? So I had to do it, so. And listen to me say, I wanted to go to some of her later work, her more mature work, but it's too mature for this audience. So we're gonna go with one of her earlier works. So guys, let's give me that one. I've got a phone here. <laughs> Y'all are doing better than first service. They were a little like, I'm not sure what to do with this. <laughs> so listen, if we listen to Taylor, perhaps, and again, I, I, I like Taylor Swift, right? No doubt, that's a catchy song, all right? But let me just tell you, if you listen to Taylor, you might believe that love is overly individualistic, right? No one's ever felt what we feel. No one's ever had a love like our love. 
And, you know, in that song, one of the interesting things as a father is that Taylor seems to think that, like, we shouldn't listen to our moms and dads, the people who love us most, to inform anything about our love story because they don't get it. They don't understand, right? And so those are some of the things we might believe to be true about love if we took these as our kind of sacred text. Now let's go to our true sacred text, shall we? For a moment and remind ourselves of just a couple things. If we look at the scriptures and we were to let them define love for us, if we were to listen to John 15, 13, we would perhaps believe that love isn't overly simplified, melodramatic, it is willful and intentional and sacrificial. It has way more to do with the commitment of my will to the best interests of someone at a great cost to myself than it does about idealizing them. If I were to go to Ephesians chapter five, verse 32, I might recognize that love is not an end unto itself, that love doesn't exist for the sake of love that my love for another person exists for something greater and grander and bigger than myself, for the very purposes of God in the world, Ephesians 5.32 tells us in the covenant of marriage. It has a purpose. Romans 12, verse nine, if I were to listen to that, it would teach me that love loves good and hates evil. It cares very much. It has a moral direction. Love has a moral emphasis. It is not morally neutral, nor is it morally negative, but it is morally right that love directs towards the moral good. First Peter chapter four, verse eight, I would recognize that love doesn't idealize a person and tell them you're just perfect just the way you are. It actually is aimed at moving people towards confession and repentance. That love does that, real, true, deep, abiding love, causes people to move towards repentance and confession. First John chapter three, verse one, little sneak peek for later on in the book. I would recognize, if I looked at that, that love is redemptive and purifying. It doesn't just leave people as they are. If I were to look at 1 John chapter 4, verse 10, I would see that love pursues and is freely given, not based upon the worth of the object of the love, but on the commitment of the will of the person doing the loving and the goodness of that person, and in this case, that is the Lord himself. And that love doesn't always spare the object of its love from pain, but sometimes allows pain for greater purposes, and that is still love. It's not the absence of love, but it is love itself that sometimes allows or brings pain into the life of, the, of its object. Which of those is a deeper version of love? So listen, here's why, I, the purpose of our time together is not to examine love itself, but it is to recognize that what we believe creates a foundation upon which we build a life. So in this case, what we believe about love sets the foundation for how I live in my friendships. It sets the foundation for how I live with my siblings, for how I treat my family, for how I love my spouse, if I have one. All of those things become foundational. And if I read one sacred text and go that direction, my relationships look one way. If I read the other sacred text, the scriptures, it takes my love in a different direction and therefore my actions and my life in a different direction. Does that all make sense, yes? So now, let's go back to our main point today, which is that believing the truth in Jesus, why does it create confidence? Because when we believe the truth about Jesus, it assures us that we're coming to God as he truly is. And in coming to him as he truly is, then we can be confident that we're dealing with the nature of the world and the way it truly is. If you want confidence that you belong to God, that you're right with God, 
the, one of the keys is believing the truth about Jesus so you know you're coming to God, not as you kind of imagine him to be or want him to be, just like coming to love the way you might want it to be or imagine it to be. Maybe you like the idea of a melodramatic love, but that's not gonna serve you very well because it's not what love actually is. When you come to love for what it actually is, you're able to live in the world in a way that actually makes love meaningful and helpful, yes? Same thing is true about God. Coming to him the way we might want him to be or imagine him to be isn't gonna be very helpful, nor is it gonna help us navigate the world he created. But when we come to him as he is and believe the truth about Jesus and what he reveals about who the Father is, then we're able to engage with him in a way that's right and good as well as in his world in a way that's meaningful. So that's what I want you to see. Look at how 1 John chapter four talks about it. Let me just show you one place where he's gonna talk about this idea. Chapter four, verse 14 and 15, he says this. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever, abide, whoever confesses sorry, that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. Do you see what he just said? He said, whoever believes rightly about Jesus is going to be confident that they are a child of God, that they belong to and are right with God. That's exactly the point he's making. So here's what we're gonna see John visit again and again. He's gonna help us understand some, I mean, the Christology of this book, which is what we call our understanding of who Jesus is. The Christology of the book is so deep. It's so rich. He's gonna talk to us and remind us that Jesus is co-eternal with the Father, that he existed before everything existed, that he's the creator of all things, but then he became the incarnate second person of the Trinity, fully God and fully man, living on the earth. And then he died a true death, he really died, but he also really rose and ascended to the right hand of the Father, and one day he's going to return and rule over all creation that he redeems. He will be the judge of all people, the final one. And he will be the one to whom every knee will bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord and he will make all things new. These are true things about Jesus, amen? And John's gonna remind us of that so that we would grow in our affection for Jesus, but not just our affection for him, our confidence that we are connected to God through him. As we see these things about him, do you see how it builds our confidence towards God? So that's the first thing, believing the truth about God. Now the second thing is loving our sisters and brothers. So let's talk about that for a minute. If the first thing is believing the truth about Jesus, then the second thing that gives us confidence is loving our sisters and brothers. Now, for those of you who are parents, do you guys, Amanda and I talk about this all the time, you want your kids to be great friends when they grow up, don't you? Kids, you may not know that, or you may not know that. I don't know if your moms and dads always say that to you, but one of the great ambitions for really any parent is that as your kids grow up, that they would have deep relationships with one another, that they wouldn't be distant or antagonistic towards one another. Your parents want you to have a deep and meaningful relationship. And talking to the adults in the room now, my guess is if you have a close relationship with, one of, with your siblings from growing up, you really treasure that. If you don't, I bet you're sad about it. I bet it's one of those causes of sadness in your heart that you don't have that kind of relationship. Am I right? Yeah, absolutely. We are, we, we desire that. Let's talk about why we desire that. But first, let me, <laughs> let me tell you a story. Uh, my sister and I have a close relationship now. Can I tell you about a time where that was less so? I think I've told you the story before. Um, when we were, I'm not gonna admit how old I was when this happened, 
because it's old enough that I should have known better, all right? So my sister growing up uh, loved to mess with me. There was kind of a standing rule in our house, like, you know, boys uh, do not push girls. You're not gonna be physical in any way with your sister. That is not allowed. She loved to take full advantage of that because she did not have the same rule, all right? And so she would tickle me and, you know, poke and prod. And she would tell you now today that she was an instigator. That was definitely her kind of MO. I have permission, I feel like, to say that because she, she recognizes it. So she would do all kinds of different little things. So one night now, you know, when she was bigger than me, she's two years older, she could kind of take advantage of that. Obviously, we grew up, I got a little bigger than her. So I'm sitting watching TV, she's instigating. She's trying to tickle, she's messing with me, and it's just really annoying to me. And so finally, I said, Lindy, if you don't stop, you're gonna regret it. And she said, oh, ha, 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 and she kept going. And I said, if you don't stop, you're gonna regret it, all right? And she keeps going. And so then she comes near one more time, and I grab her and flip her over so fast that she didn't know what hit her. And now I've got my knees on her elbows, which is just the worst. You heard anybody do that? And I proceed to do the thing. Now, this is the embarrassing part because I was way too old to do this. Where you hawk a loogie in your mouth and you, you let it go down and then you pull it back up. So I'm doing that and I'm letting it get a little closer every time. Every time. Until she is screaming, no! Can I tell you something? My parents were watching this unfold. <laughs> Which is emboldened me, because my dad actually said, for the first time ever in my life, you kind of asked for it, Lindy. And I was like, yes, it's incredible. So the, I go, and you know what happens? I didn't, I let it go too far. And I couldn't get it back, and she moved her head at the exact wrong time, and it landed in her mouth. At which point, I jumped up and went, oh, no, 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 no. And ran from the room, and she screamed and went to the, mouth, went to the bathroom and just started to like rinse you know, her mouth or whatever. Now, our relationship was ruined forever, and we haven't spoken since. No, I'm kidding. We, we've recovered, right? We've recovered. But you have those moments when you're growing up where your relationship isn't right with your sibling, right? And as funny as that, well, some of you are grossed out by that story. Some of you find it funny. Whichever it is, I don't know if it helps or hurts, all right? But at the end of the day, right, you have those moments with your siblings where, you know, things aren't great, but we are meant to have better relationships with our siblings than those. And do you know why? It's not because you're blood relatives. It's not because, well, we share the same last name and it's not just because we want Christmas to be, you know, more peaceful uh, when we all get together than, you know, antagonistic. The reason is because God has designed the earthly family to reflect his heavenly family. Your true family, your truest family is not your blood relatives. It's your relatives in the faith. When God has become your father, those who are in the faith have become your brothers and sisters. And the reason we so cherish and desired good relationships within our family is because that is a mirror reflection of the kind of relationships that we're supposed to have with our sisters and our brothers in the faith. Deeply marked by love and sacrifice and care. That's what our relationships with one another are supposed to be like. They're not supposed to be antagonistic. They're not supposed to be uh, you know, caustic. Now, here's what I would tell you about that. Why does that give you confidence then if you find that you have love for your sisters and brothers? Why does that bring confidence to us? The reason is this. It's because we wouldn't have those, that kind of love naturally. 
we would not love one another that way in our own strength. And if you, I'll just share with you, if you think, oh no, I think I would, I would, I would push you and say, I, I think you're wrong. That by our own natures, we are naturally self-preserving, naturally, you know, instinctually, we, we look out for ourselves over others. But what happens is, the love of God in Christ enters into us and the love with which we now are capable of loving others, both our neighbors, but especially those within the body of Christ, those who are our family in the faith, the love with which we now have the ability to love has radically changed. That's why it is this confidence giver that we are right with God and that we belong to him because we are experiencing his love moving through us into others or towards others in the faith. It's not our own capability to love, but his. And when we find that in ourselves, when you love someone within the family of faith with a kind of sacrifice and commitment and you know, wisdom and, and truth, all undergirding that kind of love, what you can't help but recognize is like, that is in me because of God. It's not in me because of me. And therefore, do you see how that increases your confidence? Oh, that wouldn't be there if God weren't there, but God is there, and so that is there now. Praise God. And so he gets all the credit, and we delight in him. Now listen, let me make an, a point of application here that is one of the things that I wanna encourage you in as we're going through this book is that I will talk to people regularly, perhaps struggling, anxiety, fear, and often that is connected to a, an inability to experience the love of God this feeling of like, I'm, I'm not convinced God loves me. That may be you. You may be sitting here today going, I don't have an easy time, or maybe I've never felt certain that God loves me. And in the same way that I'm saying to you that when we love each other, it is evidence of our connection to God, you can reverse engineer that. And if you are struggling with believing that God loves you and that's producing anxiety and fear, depression, you know, all these different aspects of life that come from not having our identity rooted in the love of God, knowing that God loves me, being certain of it. One of the things that's not the only, it's not like a, I'm not trying to give a simplistic solution, but you need to begin to serve others. As you begin to give yourself into serving others, do you see how that works in reverse as well? As I serve others, that's loving them. As I do that, I will find that I am seeing and identifying and experiencing the love of God because you're gonna need to draw on that love in order to do it. And so as you just, I'm not saying you need to move the world here. Find one simple, small way to serve other believers. To serve, and I do specifically other believers. Neighbors too, yes, those outside the faith we are called to serve, but specifically here, whether it's serving snacks to the kids, writing letters to folks who can't leave their home because of physical ailments, and just letting them know they're not forgotten. Small, little ways of serving will begin to help you reconnect to an understanding that God loves you. Does that make sense? Yeah, I just wanna give you something practical, tangible, you can begin to step into, and God's love will begin to become a real thing to you. This is what 1 John 4, 7 says. It says, beloved, let us love one another for love is from God and whoever loves has been born of God 
and knows God. You see what he's saying? When God, when you know him, when you're his child, his love fills you, and therefore you love one another. All right, let's go to the last one. The last thing that we're gonna look at is doing what's right. Doing what's right. That's the last thing that John is gonna return to again and again in order to give us confidence, all right? So listen, doing what's right can be very hard. Do we agree? Yes, absolutely. Doing what's right can be very hard. I encountered a, a really, um, I thought a really wonderful prayer this week. It's the cadets prayer. Does anybody know the West Point cadets prayer? What a great prayer. And there's one section of it where the cadets are taught to pray, make us God, make us to choose the harder right instead of the easier wrong. That's good to pray, isn't it? Just go ahead and write that one down. Start including it in your prayers. Make us to choose the harder right rather than the easier wrong. So I, I wanna do something visual for us to help demonstrate that. Um, where's my guy Jonas? You wanna come help me? All right, everybody welcome Jonas up. We're gonna play a little game. All right, so I got a vase. I got some ping pong balls. I promise you they fit, all right? But not by much. Can everybody see this? That's the size of it. How many think Jonas is gonna get one in? <laughs> All right, let's see if we can do it. Go for it. You can bounce it. You, oh, you can come up close, man. You're not gonna get one in. Doing what's right is hard. You can, good try. Good try. Oh. One more. All right, good effort. No, wait, we're not done. We're not done, we're not done. Because I have something I built. Now see if you can get one in. No more are gonna fit in there, that's it. He got them all, give him a big round of applause. Thank you, Jonas. Now listen, I spent all week trying to get a ball in that jar and it is really hard to do, all right? I didn't get a single one in the entire time, but Here's where the analogy kind of breaks down, because what did I do? I made it easier to get the ball in the jar, right? Or in the vase. What God does, he doesn't make doing what's right easier, but what he does do is fill us with power. So in order for that to truly work, if I had been able to somehow infuse Jonas with the power to be able to make the ball go in to the small opening, that would have been the perfect illustration, right? But what God does do is he changes the game for us, and this is why it fills us with confidence that we're connected to God because there is a power now moving through us, enabling us to do what is right. In the same way that we don't love on our own, we don't do what's right on our own. We don't just naturally go, you know what I love to do? The hard right. We naturally love the easier wrong, but when God comes into a life and we're connected to him, we love him so much in response to his love for us and now the spirit moves in us and through us that there is a power available to us and it gives us confidence as we experience that power. Every time we choose what is right, we are reminded that we are connected to God because we wouldn't have chosen it otherwise. Does that make sense? So there's this confidence. Now here's the thing, this is not a perfectionism, all right? Christians are not perfectionists. In fact, John is gonna say next week when we get into chapter one, he's gonna say anyone who says they don't sin is a liar. That's just not true. Everybody sins. Everyone in the household of God sins. And yet he's going to say that there is this victory that we continue to grow in 
over our wrong desires and into our right desires. So we are neither, as followers, we are neither uh, perfectionists nor are we defeatists. There is no sense in which John goes, well, everyone's gonna sin, so might as well not worry about it, just keep doing it. No, there is this strong conviction that we can grow in our ability to do what is right and our love to do what is right, yes? It's not a foregone conclusion that you will do the wrong. You have power available to you. But we also recognize that we will be imperfect until the Lord returns, and so it is not a call to, I can't have confidence unless I always do what is right. You will do what is wrong sometimes. And then what John is gonna give us next week is how to deal with that. What do I do when I choose the wrong? How do I respond to it? And he's gonna talk to us about that. Here's what 1 John chapter 2 verses 28 and 29 say. It says this, and now, little children, abide in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence, there's that word, confidence, and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. See what he's saying? How do you get confidence that you are connected to God, that you're his child, you're born of him? How do you get it? You love what is right, and as you find that in yourself, your confidence that you are in Christ grows. All right, so those are our three very central tenets of the faith. John is not gonna stray far from them. We're gonna get a lot of repetition as we go through this, this time together, this semester, and I want you to grow in your confidence. Everybody say confidence one more time. To grow in your confidence or to recognize that you don't have good reason for confidence so that you can come to Jesus and then have all the reason for confidence. That's our ambition, that's our aim. And so we will learn to grow in our understanding of who Jesus truly is and believe the truth about him. We will learn to love one another. So expect that God is going to prompt you into new ways to love sacrificially and truly. There will be new calls upon you to love, not just in word, but in deed and in action. And expect then that you will also grow in strength and in power to do what's right and to repent when you do what's wrong and that your love for the good will grow. Don't we want our love for the good to grow? Yeah, and that God will enable you, all right? Let's pray together and let's sing to conclude our time. Lord Jesus, thank you that we gather across generations in this room today to remember and to look at what is true. And I pray that you would help us in the coming weeks, Lord Jesus, may you fill us with the power of the Spirit. May you make clear our calling to all the places that you send us and may we treasure, just treasure that we belong to you. So do your revealing and empowering work through your Spirit, Father, we pray it. And we pray it for the glory of Jesus in whose name we pray, amen. <laughs>